and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Nice to see you, Cameron Shelton there on the cojones, right? That's what they call it there? Yeah, all right. Excellent, excellent. And uh, you saw Lizzie singing up here on this side, and Lizzie is the program coordinator uh, for Mount Jubilee Ministry in Reedsville, the ministry to Down syndrome and some uh, mild autism and things like that. I had a chance to go to their banquet on Thursday night, and they were thanking us and all the givers for the different ways we've helped their ministry continue to thrive and blossom. So that was really neat too. And uh, they did a capital campaign, a 60-day capital campaign recently and raised another uh, $250,000. And they're going to have jobs for the special needs ones that are there. They're going to make fudge and other things. And those will be in stores around Reedsville, maybe some up here, I don't know. But just another great way uh, for them to work and show their value and uh, give back to society and stuff. So, so glad for uh, the gospel and the work being done at Mount Jubilee um, Ministries out of Reedsville, but also Greensboro, Winston-Salem. And as we've been praying, maybe one day here in Danville, and we can be a part in that as time uh, passes. We'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. For those just joining with us and for our guests today, we've been studying through Colossians, and of course we've seen that Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. He's given us an all-sufficient salvation. You see that in the first couple chapters. And then in these last two chapters, you get into all the wonderful practical teachings that are in Colossians for us all. And last week, we looked specifically about the roles of husbands and wives within marriage. Tina, I wish Mark had been here to hear what he needs to hear. But sister, we have to just trust God's sovereign timing on uh, him missing the roles of husbands message. This week, we're going to talk about the roles of parents and children from Colossians, but also we'll look into Ephesians because they're sister books, they're sister passages, and we'll look at that together. But based on Colossians 1.17, which as uh, 3.17, which as you read it there says, whatever you do, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so in everything we do, we're supposed to glorify God and do what he says. And then he applies it specifically to husbands and wives and then parents and children and then workers and bosses. But I reminded you last time of a little teaching I do called 5G Living. We are to do everything we do, first for the glory of God and then for the good of our fellow man. Uh, You make tires, people need tires. You teach children, children need teaching and stuff. So whatever you do, you're doing good to help this world in all the ways that your uh, work product adds value to every area of society. So for the glory of God, for the good of our fellow man, to get the gospel to non-believers, to help your fellow believers grow, and then do it all with a grateful heart. And so there's 5G everything, including 5G parenting. So when it comes to marriage, first and foremost, we do our part in marriage for the glory of God, not for a defined outcome. You say, Danny, why not for a defined outcome? Because anything that involves the will of another, uh, you can't make them do. You can't make them do what they ought to do in their role. You can only do what you're supposed to do in our role. We can only do our best with Christ's help to fulfill our part and role toward the outcome of a godly spouse in marriage. And so it's important to remember that in marriage, but it's even more important to remember that in parenting. We first and foremost parent our children for what? For the glory of God. God has given you to be your kids' parents. He's given you those children. And first and foremost, you want to fulfill your role and responsibility there for the glory of God, not for a defined outcome, although we want them to grow in the nurture and fear of the Lord. We want them to be saved. We want them uh, to be wonderful, productive members of society. But their will is involved. And so you can put them in a position, but you can't make them bow the knee to Jesus and make their decisions always honor Christ. 
You can only, while they're in your home, steer them the right way, pour into them in hopes that they'll be God-fearing, Jesus-loving adults. You know, I think of the kings of the Davidic line within Judah. There were only four things that could happen, right? You could have a godly king who had a godly son. That's one. You could have a godly king who had an ungodly son. You could have an ungodly king who had an ungodly son. And you could have an ungodly king who had a godly son. There's only those four outcomes. And the four generations after David, that's exactly what happened. David was a godly king who had a godly son, Solomon. Solomon was a godly king who had an ungodly son, Rehoboam, right? Rehoboam was an ungodly king who had an ungodly son, Abiha. And Abiha was an uh, ungodly king who had a godly son, Asa. And those first four generations read just like uh, Ezekiel 18, which is such a wonderful passage. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul that sins will die. In Israel, they were saying a proverb. It said, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. And so all of Israel was blaming their parents for the way they turned out, like the West Side Story song, Officer Crumpke, you know, I'm a mess because my parents raised me to be a mess, and those things. But in Ezekiel 18, he mentions a righteous man has a son who's unrighteous, and then an unrighteous son has a grandson of the first one, but who is righteous. Righteous, unrighteous, righteous. And Ezekiel 18 makes clear that the unrighteous son will not get any credit because his dad was godly. He also won't have any strikes against him because his father was ungodly. Each generation needs to decide for their own. And so you instill everything you do in them, and then you hope that they themselves will bow the knee to Jesus. I mentioned the kings of Judah. 20 kings from David to Zedekiah, and about 25% were in all those categories we've already mentioned, which is so interesting. And so when we think about parenting, man, you can mess your kids up through bad parenting, but if you do your best for the glory of God, it doesn't necessarily mean some of them won't be prodigals for a while or for their entire lives. So parenting is at the same time one of the most wonderful It's one of the most humbling, it's one of the most stretching, it's one of the most tiring, it's one of the most exciting, it's one of the most frustrating, it's one of the most valuable things you will ever do for Jesus. And regardless of the outcome, you're going to come to appreciate your own heavenly father, his love and patience with us as children. And uh, I can guarantee that. That is guaranteed that in the area of discipleship, as you seek and serve Jesus, as you pour into your kids, God will grow you. Uh, no matter what they're doing as they get a little older. So now, let's take a closer look at the roles of parents and children in the home. So Colossians 3, I put these in your notes so we could have them right there because they are parallel passages. Colossians 3, 20 and 21 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And as we've mentioned several times, this little book of Colossians, sometimes it's just that brief. One verse there, one verse there. And Ephesians sometimes add a little, adds a little bit more than Colossians did. And of course, you go to other passages to bring in the scriptures full teaching. So look at Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's talk about the Christian home. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the beauty and simplicity of scriptural teaching, God. We know that if you don't build a house, they labor in vain who build it. We thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ that among other things is so that when a sinner turns to you and is saved, when they receive you, they become children of God. We thank you for every Christian here that you are the perfect heavenly father as we just sang about. Thank you that you know our names. And Lord God, whenever we get to this subject of parenting and being a child, Lord God, we have been children in our parents' house and some of us are now parents, God. Whenever we get to this subject, There are so many people filled with such pain and such regret. Not only about sometimes the broken homes they came from, the little terrors they were for their own parents. I've got some of that regret. I was such an awful child to my parents. 
they didn't know Jesus and they were dysfunctional and they didn't know what to do and I was such a handful for them. And then the pain some of us have as parents, Lord God, as we have tried to raise our children to seek you and serve you, God, and yet some of our adult children are prodigals, Lord, including two of our three. And there's such pain because of that, God. It's hard to even preach this. Lord God, I think about how that pain is shared throughout this room and for others, Lord. People that love their kids and want to see them know you and the joy and purpose and peace that you give, and yet their children are so far from you. Lord God, help us to continue to love our children even when they make decisions that dishonor you and so frustrate us, God. We thank you for the simplicity and the beauty of the scriptures here, God. Help us to all do our role, God, and you send revival and awakening to this land, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this text has two overarching commands for children and then three for parents. And so let's look at them. We're going to work our way through them. First of all, pretty simply here, it says children are to obey their parents. You see that in Colossians 3.20? It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, children, you are to obey your parents in everything but sin. For this pleases the Lord when you obey them as God has given them to you. Now, sometimes parents do. Mine have done it. Some of yours have done it. Sometimes parents do ask you to do something that's sinful. So this is not saying that children need to obey their parents when their parents ask them to do something simple. And we know that because of the parallel, the sister passage there in Ephesians. What does it say in 6.1? It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do you see that qualifier? Obedience is in the Lord. So kids, when your parents ask you to clean your room, do it. Better yet, since you know it's their expectation, do it before you're asked. They shouldn't have to ask you every week if it's a regular expectation. It's just part of what you do. But kids, when your parents ask you to lie for them or do drugs with them, you say, I love you, mom and dad, but that's a sin, so I cannot do that. And unfortunately, that's the situation many of our children we minister to uh, through different ministries are in. Uh, we want them to obey and honor their parents, but sometimes their parents ask them to do something very sinful and they need to know the distinction. We need to be very careful about saying that, that we want them to obey in the Lord. Children, your default setting needs to be to obey your parents. God put you under their care to teach you some of the basic things you need to know in life so that it will go well with you. God gave you your parents to provide for your needs, but not all your wants. There are things you want and don't get, but it's not part of the needs you have, and your parents don't want to spoil you, so sometimes they say no, and you need to honor that and obey that when they say no. Also, God gave them to protect you from dangers that you're not mature enough to understand, especially your teenagers. There are things where you think you know and you do not know. Your brain, science tells us, won't be fully developed until you're in your mid-20s. So don't lean on your own understanding or on other people your age whose brains are also not developed yet, right? You'll be what the book of Proverbs calls a fool. By the way, such great wisdom for parenting in the book of Proverbs and for being a child and for being any kind of person, right? Uh, chapter a day, there's 31 days in the longest month. There's 31 Proverbs and it is a tribute to two, kind, two ways to live. One is the way of God's wisdom and being a wise person. The other is being a fool who rejects God's teaching, who rejects what your parents want to teach you. There's the wise person, there's the fool, and the fool is uh, so messed up. Children, do what's right and pleases the Lord. Obey them in the Lord. Proverbs 20:11 says, even a child makes himself known by his acts by whether his conduct is pure and upright. There's a reason why people even looking on a child and saying, you know, that's a, that's a good kid, you know? They've already got a strong worth ethic. They're already obeying their parents. They're already working hard at school and at work and different things like that. That starts showing up early in life. And if that's you, children, go there. If you're lazy instead, try to be known for more diligence and work and uh, seeking the Lord. Proverbs 17:25 says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Children, it's a good thing to have your parents be proud of you because you're making wise decisions instead of foolish ones. I love 3 John 4, where the Apostle John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And of course, that he's speaking of his spiritual children. And as a pastor, I have no greater joy than when people follow the Lord and are seeking him and doing the right thing. But of course, that's also the joy 
of any godly parent to hear that their children are walking in the truth. So children, you want to obey your parents in the Lord because it's right and because it pleases God. And next it says you're to honor their, your parents. Children are to honor their parents. And we get this from the Ephesians passage. So Colossians is very brief. Uh, Ephesians reminds us also of what was in the Ten Commandments. Ephesians 6, 2, and 3. It says, honor your father and mother. And then it says, this is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise referred to? Well, way back in Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, it said it will go well with you and you may live long in the land. So why did God and the Ten Commandments connect honoring your parents with living long in the land? Now, that may be true of individuals. If you honor your parents and you're doing what God says in the scriptures, you may avoid developing a substance addiction. And we know that there are certain things you do. They're going to take years off your life on average, right? You know, a person that's got an alcohol problem is taking about 20 years off their life. If you're smoking, uh, smoking and sometimes smoking pot and other things like that can take years off your life. If you are gluttonous and just can't stop putting the food in, you know, that can cause all kinds of health issues for you and take years off your life. Stress can do that and other things, any kind of addiction. And so if you early on in childhood do what your parents say and avoid some uh, besetting sins, some habitual sins, you may yourself live long. But I think something is more at play here when it talks about living long in the land. It's true of individuals mostly, but it was especially important for the peace and harmony, the shalom of the entire nation of Israel. The Ten Commandments are given to the people of Israel at one time, and it's saying, hey, if children in the land are honoring their parents' authority, if they're honoring the position, even then they've got a little bit of a problem with the person in the position, then they'll be the kind of people that will honor other positions like that, and it'll make for peace and harmony in the entire land. Why is that? It's because of the sanctity of parental authority. It's because respect for authority begins in the home as children are taught to honor their parents' position and obey their authority. The implication was that if Israel would be that kind of nation where children honor their parents' authority, they would go on to honor other authorities when they went to school, when they went to work. In the nation, they would fear God. They'd have shalom as a nation and help themselves live long in the land and not sin against God and be put out into captivity like eventually happened. Uh, in the home, they were supposed to learn from their parents about ministering to the poor in their midst and taking care of the priesthood, the Levites and the priesthood that would minister back to Israelites in so many different ways. They learned to think differently about the foreigners because of their own foreign experience back in the land of Egypt. They were to treat everybody with kindness and compassion and share God with them. And God would be the God of their nation and their homes and this would spread throughout the nation starting with what parents did for their children and children honoring their parents in the home. Wow. Now, we're not Israel, but the principles in the Word of God extend to all peoples and nations. And by extension, we know that any nation will break down if homes are increasingly broken over successive generations and we don't return to the fear of God and biblical truth. Uh, I've been praying for some time, you have too, for a revival in America's churches and an awakening in the land. And many times it's the college students and the kids that lead us, isn't it? I'm excited by what's going on at Asbury uh, College and University there, and it's spread to other colleges now as kids are singing and they're confessing sin and they're seeking God's face and it's spilling to other places. And maybe, just maybe, it's the start of something that all of us of all ages need, a bona fide revival and awakening in our time like was in the 70s and 80s, and it's been way too long since we've had. Pray for that. Folks, when children don't honor and obey their parents' authority, they become little terrors in their neighborhoods and in their schools. And they grow up to disrespect authority in their workplace and in interaction with governing authorities and also probably lack any fear of God. And what does it have? It has disastrous national effects. Can I get an amen from some of our police officers? Because you see, so many times you're dealing with a situation that's already broke down because honor and obedience didn't start in the home. And that's transferred now to the school. It's translated now to the posture toward law enforcement officials. It uh, goes throughout and poisons the entire national environment. Now, when it talks about honoring your parents, I always like to say 
What you need to do is honor everything you can. Honor everything you can. You can always honor the position even when the person in the position does dishonorable things. Some of you say, well, Danny, I didn't know my, my mom and dad, mom just gave me birth and then gave me up for adoption. She didn't give you up, she gave you a future that she couldn't give you herself at the time. And you wanna honor her for that. Even if you haven't met her, you wanna thank her for the gift of life. And then you've got adoptive parents and you wanna honor them for choosing you and taking you into their home. Now, some of you in your homes of origin, like mine growing up, very dysfunctional, and you've got a lot of pain from those childhood memories. But you wanna honor that position, your mom and your dad, and you've learned to live and see that it's hard to be a parent. And you wanna honor all the ways they tried. And I've tried to go back in every way I could and think about all the ways that my parents, without the knowledge of Jesus at the time, did the best they could and go back and thank them for that and develop a relationship with my adult dad. Now, I need to say something to adult children of church-going parents, particularly those of you and whoever may hear this, who are bitter at God, bitter at your parents. And I just wanna say this to you if you're in that camp, bitter about your church upbringing and your parents bringing you to church. Stop complaining about how your parents drug you to church when you are kids. You say, I'm so mad because they drugged me to church when they were kids. I don't know if you've heard this, but I hear this a lot in talking to people. And I want you to know that by the time you're in your late 20s and 30s, and you're still talking that game when you appear before others, you just sound real whiny. I know I did when I was in my mid-20s, and I needed to take some initiative to uh, get right with my own father. And God just laid it on my heart to humble myself before him and write him a letter, and I did, and it just led to some really good steps forward in our relationship and things like that. I had the things I was bitter at from another direction, but stop complaining about your, how your parents drug you to church when you're kids. Hey, here's the bottom line. All parents take their kids with them wherever they go. Muslims take their children to the mosque while they're in the home. Hindus to their temples. Mensa members to their scrabble parties. When Caesar Casino gets built, gambling addicts are going to drag their children with them. They're going to leave them in the room. Some, unfortunately, will neglect them and leave them in their cars while they go in and gamble. In contrast, you got Kool-Aid and a snack most of the time your parents brought you to church. You got lifelong friends and older people who will pray for you. And so that, that little thing needs to just go by the wayside that you're bitter about them for taking you to church. You resent your parents for sending you to Bible school and to camp. Guess what? I have met young adults who resent their parents for not bringing them to Bible school or to camp. You wish you could have gone to more godless parties when you're young. Hey, listen, Danny Campbell went to those parties and I wish my parents had been stricter. You're an adult now and it's time to reevaluate. Take all that off the table and go ahead and live your life. But let me say this respectfully to you, if that's you. In your overreactions against your own Christian upbringing, some of you are missing that you're going to the opposite extreme. And your own children are biblically illiterate and are going to miss out on all the good things you got. And some of them will go to hell because they just have never heard about Jesus. You're now living as a practical atheist and what comes out of your kids in the next few years may very well make you wish you had brought them to church the way your parents brought you. Your parents gave you the gift of structure and community. What are you giving them that will help them turn into productive members of church and society? Be very careful to throw it all out because uh, of some pain that you have. Some of you say, but my parents were, and my parents are hypocrites. Well, think about how they would have been if they hadn't tried at all. We're all open to the charge of hypocrisy. We all get some things right and some things wrong. David was considered the prototype king, the king that all other kings were measured by. And yet he had a disastrous affair with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. It's a terrible sin that he repented of. But all the future kings were evaluated on whether they had a heart for God like David did. And a heart to lead the nation to rid itself of idols like David did. You say, well, Danny, uh, what if my parent has died? I'm tracking with you and I've got regrets about all that, but what if my parent has died? I always advise, write them a letter telling them what you want to say. 
And if you need to bring it to me and let me read it and pray with you, I'll do that. I've done that before for people. If you just need to let it out and then nail it to the cross, do that. Children of any age, honor your parents and then go on and live your life. Well, that's the kids. Three overarching commands to parents. You guys ready? First of all, it says parents are not to provoke their children to despair. Now, the word might be different in your translation. I'm using the English Standard Version, but Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And then in Ephesians 6.4, the first part, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, as Christians, we are called to edify, to build people up, not to tear them down. And there are many ways we can provoke our children to discouragement. One of the main ways is by not showing love and respect to their other parent. For homes that are intact, that means parents, your children need to see if you're a husband, you're loving your wife, like we talked about last week. Wives, your children need to see you respecting and loving your husband back. They, they need to see that. That'll uh, may lead many children to despair. I saw my parents fighting all the time as a youngin, and I just, it's either fight or flight, right? And sometimes I fought, they'd curse at me, I'd curse back. Sometimes I'd just fly, I'd go away and go to a party or this or that or the other. That can provoke to despair and discouragement. Now, for some of you, that is a situation of divorce has already happened. And for some reason, you are fighting the battle of your kid with your ex-spouse. And it's just ripping them up. It's just ripping up. Your child is not a battlefield. So you've got to figure a way to work it out. You've got to figure out a way to help them honor and love the parent that they're with the other part of the time. You just have to do that. If not, it can provoke them to discouragement. What else can? Unrealistic demands, putting them in positions to fail rather than succeed. So, yes, you've got much to teach them. But if you don't do it patiently, then what they could learn from you about working on cars or about going hunting or fishing or about work in the kitchen and those things, if you don't show them how and work with them and be patient with them as they're learning those things... Uh, if you give them more work than they could possibly do at the age that they're at, those kind of things can also lead to discouragement. By outbursts of anger, impatience, and discipline that goes too far. Some of you, when you discipline, you do it in anger, and when you do, you, you are, you're, you're messing your child up. Discipline needs to happen, but it needs to happen in the right spirit. It needs to happen in the right context, and it doesn't need to be done when you're angry. How can you provoke them to despair? By not protecting their time. I'll tell you what the research says. Your child will be better off the more meals at home they have at dinner time. The more you protect that time together. And many child children are going to want to be involved in every possible extracurricular activity they can. And you'll never be home for dinner together. You need to pick and choose wisely some things and say no to other things and guard that family time together. You need to protect that time. We can provoke them to despair by refusing to consider their personality. I don't know about your children if you have children here, but each of mine came out already with a different personality. They were just different. And when it came to discipline, we could look at our oldest and he'd break into tears. Our next one would take a spank and say, give me more. I'm wiping that spank off. Go after more, you know, just hard-headed from the, the very start. Um, and so, yes, we gave the spankings and this and that and the other, but they've got different personalities, and they've got different likes. And if you only evaluate them, if you were a football star, by whether or not they like football, and then you get upset because they're a soccer player instead, you know, or that's what they gravitate toward, or if it's any kind of sport, but instead they're artsy, uh, you can make them despair by not helping their skills and talents and gifts develop in the way that God had for them to develop. That's an art. You know, in marriage, you get what you get. So you are so excited about marrying. You marry that person, and then you get together, and you realize, oh, my goodness, my spouse is deeply broken and fragile from her life of growing up, or your husband is. And you're in that, and you've already made the vows before God, and, and you've got what you've got. 
And it's a lifetime of ministry and love, but sometimes it's also sadness because of a, a tragedy they're still trying to work through from childhood. And, and, and some of you are in marriages like that. And God gave you to your spouse to help them get from where they are to where God wants them to be and deal with all those childhood traumas and other things. In parenting, you also get what you get as far as personality and package and life experiences and those things. And some children are just easier than others. Some children are defiant from the very start. Others are compliant from the very start. And you're trying to reach their heart and win them. Do your part for the glory of God. Now, let me just say it again. When divorce is in the situation or if the parents never married... And if you are a grandparent helping raise your grandkids and you have some things you're deeply upset about, about the other parent, the one that's not yours, don't, again, I'm going to say it, don't let those kids be a battlefield. I loved my dad's mom. She actually lived with us a few years when my kids were young. It was so neat to be able to give back to her before she, her needs meant she had to go into an assisted living place. But grandmom didn't ever really like my mom. And when I was myself reeling from my parents' divorce and the decade after that, I would get together with my grandmom. This is before she ever wound up living in our house. And she couldn't help herself. She would just start to criticize my mom. She'd rip her up. Oh, she was bad at that. Oh, if only she'd done this or that or the other. I finally looked at her one day and I said, Grandmom, if you're asking me to choose, I choose mom. I don't want to have to do that. I only got one mom. If you're asking me to choose, I choose mom. Now, if we can agree just to you stop doing this and we never go there again with this criticism of her, we'll be fine. And to her credit, we were fine. She never did it again. She was just frustrated. She just hoped things had turned out another way, and some of you are like that. You think, oh, that sorry woman, oh, that sorry man. If only they had, if only this, if only that. And you're missing the fact that that kid is hearing you say those things and they need their mama and they need their daddy and they need you to all fulfill your role that God has given you in this whole deal. Do it for the glory of God. Don't provoke your children or grandchildren to despair. So don't provoke. But then it says parents are to bring their children up in the discipline they need. We get the word pedagogy from the word discipline there. So training, training, it's hands-on training, life training, not just words of teaching. Teaching's the next word. But it says in Ephesians 6, 4, but bring them up in the discipline or the training of the Lord. And we talked earlier about how when a child learns to respect authority in the home, they go on to respect it when God places them under authority in other spheres later on, their teachers, their coaches, their bosses, the police, etc. And so... You have been given by God to your children to help them learn first respect for authority, first respect for honoring authority. You are the authority now, others will be it later, and God in his graciousness has given us uh, different spheres of authority over every area of life to make life easier for us. Sometimes you are the authority, sometimes you're the one under authority. Sometimes you're in a peer relationship with people under authority or over authority, like a husband and wife are over their children. Here's what I would advise as far as training goes. I would advise you to be stricter with your children when they're younger and ease off on some restrictions as they age and show responsibility. You can dishearten your child by, when they get a little older, not adjusting the rules some to reflect that they're there now. Now, you need to keep on trusting, but verifying, right? There are people they'll hang out with you don't trust, and so you've got to say no to stuff. But be stricter earlier on, because especially if you're not, if you haven't really been around Christians and you haven't really been taught, sometimes uh, you think, well, gosh, this child's going to save me. I'm going to have this child, and it's going to make me feel so good, and they're going to love me, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to be their buddy right from the start. It just doesn't work that way. If you start when they're young with no rules and structure, it's going to be very hard to reel them in when they're teenagers. 
You've just got to start stricter and ease it out as you go, especially as they earn the uh, right to have that be the case. Proverbs 22:15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So it's speaking of a little bit of spanking there, which uh, really will help in many situations. I would advise you that when you do need to punish your children, make sure the punishment fits the crime. Make sure you don't discipline them in anger. Explain to them why they're being punished. And uh, pray with them afterwards. Very important that you don't punish in anger and that punishment fits the crime. You can overwhelm uh, a child by disproportionate punishment. Here's another one. Don't bribe your children to get obedience. Many parents do. Now, now, listen, don't bribe them to get obedience, but do reward exceptional work, right? Don't tie all obedience to reward because they're supposed to just obey anyway. You're the parents, and they're going to have things they don't like in school. They're going to have to things they don't like at work. They're just going to have to do them as part of the job. Leave reward for exceptional work, going the extra mile. Uh, do reward the way they're going to experience in the future, where hard work can lead to raises and promotions. So teach reward for work ethic. One of the best things you can do for this world that we live in is teach your children how to work hard, reward them for it, and that becomes people that will be great benefits to society, even if they don't follow Jesus like we want them to. Help your children navigate the digital age but also over, unplug overnight. Say, what do you mean, Pastor Danny? Well, according to the CDC, Center for Disease Control, a record high number of teenage girls are sad and suicidal. Many of you saw this research this week. Three out of five girls in 2021 reported feelings of persistent sadness or hopelessness, a roughly 60% increase over the last decade, and boys' numbers are also struggling. A lot of suicide, a lot of despair. And a lot of it is because of what's happening in their brain, the way online activity is rewiring their brain, and they don't know how to be friends with people that are actually before them, in the youth group, in the school, etc. And this false world is out there messing them up. So here's what I advise. No TVs, computers, and smartphones in bedrooms. Go ahead and go home after church and say, that won't happen anymore. No TVs or bed, uh, computers and smartphones in the bedrooms. No online activity, probably within two hours of bedtime. All portable devices locked up till morning. Put them in your gun safe if you need to. In many cases, they're far more dangerous for what's happening inside your child. Now, let me say a word or two to parents who say, golly, I wish I had a child I could raise, but we had a miscarriage instead. Or maybe you lost a child in childhood and you thought that's not fair because what I thought would happen was I'd get to raise them up and then they would bury me one day. And I, you know, and so there's people in this room and you've buried your children before, you, you know, yourself. You thought it would be 18 years in the home and then a lifetime of memories and they would bury you. Instead, yours died earlier and there's no way to escape the grief of that. And sometimes we take that grief and we don't grieve properly and we don't remember properly on key anniversaries and it just keeps on hurting us. That can be true for you if you had an abortion. And praise the Lord, I believe we can follow the biblical evidence that that child's in heaven with the Lord. Uh, but you have not properly grieved what happened back there in those things. And now you're a Christian and you've asked God for forgiveness. But there's this grief that goes on and you, you have a really hard time. When Job lost his children, what did he say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me advise you to remember that child somehow each year. Christmas tree ornament, something, you know, some way of remembering that you had not three but four children. Uh, or not zero but one. And be open to God using you to help others grieve. I think about little Nathan Sowers. Nathan's parents, David and Teresa Sowers, was in the church up in Waynesboro. And even before he was born, the doctors advised abortion. They didn't do that, but they had a surgery before Nathan was born. And he was going to have lifelong kidney struggles. 
And when he was age five or six, I remember uh, we had a church party and uh, we were out at a park and under a pavilion and it was raining cats and dogs and Nathan was out jumping in the puddles. Five or six years old, just jumping in the puddles, full of life, full of energy, full of joy. And I remember other parents pulling their child back. Oh no, don't go out there, you'll get dirty. Your clothes will have to wash them all. And uh, I remember somebody asking Teresa as a parent about that and she says, we don't know how long he's gonna live. We're gonna let him jump in the puddles. At age six, he got a kidney transplant. His dad was a kidney donor. For a week, it looked like everything was fine. And then at the weak point, his little heart started to have trouble holding up. It just failed. And Nathan died. Tremendous grief. Tremendous grief. I remember as a youth pastor, not yet the pastor there, um, his dad coming to me grieving and saying, you know that book better than I do. How can you know that he's in heaven? And so I shared with him the great passage of David grieving his son and some other things. And then I said, look, Nathan gave all of himself. He understood to all of Jesus. He understood. And as far as I can tell, that's it at any age. You know, I hope if you're 70 years old out there, you've given all of yourself. You understand all of Jesus. You understand. And that's just who you are in life. But Nathan was so wonderful. Well, it was hard, and it's still hard for them. It's been many years now. But God gave Teresa an amazing grief ministry through that. Many times she was with others in our church and helping them grieve the loss of a child or a divorce or a death or something like that. And it just was so neat to see how in her own pain she gave it over to Jesus, and Jesus used her to help others going through all kinds of grief, just like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so we can comfort others as they go through affliction. Now, this is bigger than today's message and it also involves those who are single and anybody else here today. You've got some trauma in your life from something. You've got some pain. But God is so neat. When he gets a hold of you, he can use even what the devil and others meant for bad and he can turn it into your, part of your testimony that helps others in many ways. And if you'll be genuine, broken, and vulnerable, and humble, he'll give you many opportunities to not only minister again afresh to you in your grief, but help use that grief to minister to others as you go along. Bring them up in the training of the Lord. Parents are to bring their children up in the instruction of the Lord, and the word there is more like teaching. Let me advise you as your children grow to explain more the wise, more the wise. I love the section in Israel uh, where they celebrate the Passover and God says, now listen, in the future your children are going to say, now why do we do this? And you need to be ready to tell them why you do this related to God's deliverance out of Egypt, right? And you need to be able, as your kids get older especially, to explain more the why. So for instance, the precept is don't tell a lie, right? That's the command, don't lie. But there's a principle behind don't tell a lie and that is that we need truth for relationships. So if you catch your child in a lie and you're dealing with a lie, say, now listen, we need to have some punishment here. But the problem is when you lie to me and I lie to you, we can't trust each other. And so you can't be that kind of person that lies to others. Sweet daughter, sweet son, you know, as you go along. The precept is don't lie. The principle is we need truth for relationships. But even behind there, there's the person of God, that God is a God of truth who will always tell us what we need to know to live a great life and not sin against him. And so that's his very character is to tell us the truth, not to lie to us. So tell him the why more as times go along. I hope you moms and dads are doing that every time there's a holiday. Dads, be famous for the dad speech. Let me tell you what July 4th means to me. Let me tell you about the one flag our nation has and how we've given up all other flags because we could have that one flag and be the United States of America. Let me tell you about some people that I know that died defending that flag and the Constitution and the principles for which it stands. Be famous for the dad speech, the mom speech when Thanksgiving comes around. Take the time, take the time to connect the what with the why. Why it's important. Do that at Christmas time too. Have fun with your little Santa Claus stuff, but get to Jesus, the reason for the season. Share your testimony with your kids. There's no way your kids get to get to adulthood without being able to share your testimony as well as you can. 
your happiness at what Jesus has done in your life, how he saved you out of sin and sorrow and what he's doing in your heart and life now. Every one of them should be able to tell you their te- their t- your testimony. Share what you're learning in scripture and pray with them. Share with your children all those things. Does your child know your favorite verse? They ought to know your favorite verse. Folks, we're your partners here in the church. And we also recognize how many grandparents are now helping more than ever. And we pledge to help and encourage you. And and I'm going to take this as the opportunity to make an announcement to you. And that is because we believe in that training and coming alongside you parents as as young as possible, not only in our church ministries, but also what the Tabernacle Learning Center has represented all these years. Next year, we're going to go to a full-day program, 7.30 to 5.30 and also include two-year-olds in that. So if that will help your families and help you grandparents as you're taking on increased responsibilities, you're welcome. But we want to do that, and we're excited about doing that. And so I believe it's March 23rd. I think it's March 23rd. There's flyers out here about an open house for the Tabernacle Learning Center that you can grab uh, for that. Let me give a few words to parents whose kids are older or left the home. Some of you say, Danny, I already blew it. There's just no way um, to get over the fact that uh, you're gonna have regrets. You're gonna have guilt. You're gonna have worries for your children now. Boy, Elizabeth and I sure do. We've kicked each other in our, as, indi- as individuals and each other. What, what did we do wrong? Did we miss this? Did we miss that? We've evaluated it all, you know. And, and then we just have to put it back under the blood of Jesus. Take your regrets and your guilt and your worries for your children to Jesus. Trade your what ifs. What if we'd done this? What if we'd done that? Trade those what ifs for what nows. Ongoing prayer for them. Ongoing love for them even if it's unreciprocated, love them. It will make a difference in the long term. Others of you are very close to your children of a second marriage, but very distant towards children from your first marriage. Let me tell you this, your kids still need you. And thank God kids are resilient of any age. A parent getting it at any age is still a blessing to their child. Uh, I have a lot of frustrations over my own upbringing but I'll tell you what I'm so excited for where I'm at now with my mom and where I'm at now with my dad and when my dad says something to me about his own faith it encourages me so much we didn't grow up that way I had to come to Christ before he did but it's so encouraging when I hear what my dad's learning and how much he loves me and how proud of me he is it still makes a difference you 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 can't know your children's response But it's a blessing if you get it at any age and you share back with those children. God will bless you for trying. One of my favorite men in the church up there was a man named Cecil New. (laughs) And Cecil uh, was in his 70s when he finally came to know Jesus. What a privilege it was to be his pastor. And he came to me one day and he said, Danny, I I just blew it so bad as a father. I, I left my wife and my children and I went on with my life and then I remarried and helped uh, raise her kids and things you know but I have had no contact with those kids all these years and and God's laying it on my heart to try to reach out to them and I don't know what'll come next so I prayed with him and encouraged him every way I could and I'm not saying it'll go this way for you but it went this way for Cecil he got a hold of those children developed a relationship with them. It wasn't perfect as the years passed, but it was better than anything he'd had before, and he had God's peace, and he had a relationship with them, and he was able to bless them in some ways, even looking into the future. And at his funeral, we were all there celebrating that this man left nothing on the table, humanly speaking. He poured out his heart to God, got right with God, and got right with everybody he could on earth, and it was a great blessing to them, and it'll be a great blessing to your children whatever age they are, if you do it as well. For parents of prodigals, remember the story of Hosea. Why Hosea? That's about a marriage, yeah. But it's encouraging, isn't it? Because in the story of Hosea loving his adulterous wife and sticking with her through her repentance, in the story of that, it was a picture of God's love for his people. 
And of course, the New Testament gives a story that's even better than the story of Hosea. It's the story of the prodigal son. And the father who was longing for those children to come back to God and come back home. The one, and his love really for both of his sons. The one was far away in gross sin. The, one close, the other one was close to home, but in legalistic sin. And the father loved them both. And that's how God loves us. Some of you always still come to church, but your heart ain't right with Jesus. You're, you're still a prodigal. You're just checking it off because you don't want to hear about it from your mama. Give your heart all the way to Jesus. The prodigal returned home. His brother was in the home but far away. God may bring your prodigals home to Jesus in mind. He did it for Billy Graham's son, Franklin, didn't he? And old Franklin's doing okay these days, serving the Lord, making a difference. Never give up that God can do that. We believe it. Here's my struggle. You can pray for me this way. I've seen God do it so many times in the lives of others, but I struggle to believe it for my own boys coming back to Jesus. I know he can do it. And that's the battle of faith for me and for you. So share in that struggle together and encourage other prodigal parents that you know. But don't enable them to keep on sinning by funding it. You're not helping them if you're enabling them to continue on with ungodly decisions and do ungodly things. Part of their coming back may very well be when you cut off the help that allows them to keep on going down that sinful road. We mentioned Ezekiel 18 earlier. And in Ezekiel 18, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. So whatever generation you are, God has no pleasure in the death of a sinner, of a wicked sinner. He wants everybody to turn back to him and live. Will you bow your heads? Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.